Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, week four is in the books for the Packers, and it was a 27-17 victory at home over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Green Bay now 3-1 and one in sole possession of first place in the NFC North. And with this win, if we want to start on the offensive side of the ball, I think it begins with talking about two guys on offense who were pretty darn quiet the first three weeks of the season, but they really showed up big against Pittsburgh. And I'm talking, of course, about Randall Cobb and A.J. Dillon. Yeah, and, and let's let's start with Randall Cobb. Because this is the, the story of the latter half of the offseason for the Green Bay Packers. The decision a week before the start of training camp, they're going to acquire Randall Cobb from the Houston Texans, Aaron Rodgers, gets his old, you know, his partner back. And, you know, for the last two months, we've basically been wondering, okay, what is Cobb going to do in this offense? You, you see how he could fit, and you understand where, where he could potentially be maneuvered and, and can make an impact, but he'd only played 48 snaps in the first three games. Right. Well, Marquez Valdez-Scantling goes down with a hamstring injury, ultimately gets placed on injured reserve, and it's the Randall Cobb show. And it was really apropos, I felt like, because the question, one of the first questions Matt LaFleur was asked on, on Monday after the game was, you know, was it a big point of emphasis to get Cobb involved? And he said, no, that's just kind of the way it happened. And just seeing what he does in the middle of the field, Mike, I made a comment during the game on Twitter. You know, the Packers like to be multiple. They like to have guys that can do everything, usually bigger body type guys, not typically the 5'10 <laughs> variety. Yeah. But Randall Cobb does feel a need for this offense. Uh, obviously on third downs, huge production there. But just the way, even at 31 years old, he's able to knife through the middle of the field and find separation. And he is freaking fearless when there's a safety bearing down on him. The guy catches everything. I was really impressed by Randall Cobb. And for him to be able to catch the, the 400th, excuse me, 420th you know, touchdown in Aaron Rodgers' career, a really special night for a very special player. Yeah, absolutely. He's targeted six times in the game, comes up with five catches. The other one was actually where he and Devontae Adams were both in the same area. Um, an example of, uh, of how those both of those guys are kind of on the same page always with Rodgers because they both saw the same thing on the field, went to the same place, and Cobb didn't realize that Adams was there to catch the pass. But that aside, five receptions on six targets for 60-plus yards gets the two touchdowns, his first two touchdowns of the season. And uh, the, the production on third down, it was funny because I'm uh, you know, doing the live blog during the game and, and chatting with the fans and whatnot. And after, after those first two third down conversions, which set up then Rodgers scrambling for right. the, the touchdown, the Packers' first touchdown of the game, the fans who were sending in the comments every time it was third down, they would just say third and Cobb, third and Cobb, third and Cobb. Like, but that's what it felt like, yeah. right? I mean, Aaron Rodgers, he knew he knew where he could go with the ball if he saw Cobb getting that separation somewhere in the middle of the field, and the throws were right on target. The production was there. Now we'll see what this means now for the Packers offense going forward with, as you said, Valdez Scantling is on injured reserve. He's out at least a couple more weeks. We'll see how long it is before he's back. But then the other element that developed a little bit with this offense on Sunday was the number two running back in Dillon because we've been talking about it, whether you want to call it you know, the thunder and lightning, the one-two, the, uh, the fastball and the changeup, <laughs> whatever the case might be. 
A.J. Dillon is a different type of running back from Aaron Jones, but we saw how effective he can be against a, you know, a straightforward, stout defensive front. And a lot of times it was just, you know, it was line up with the three tight ends, push the pile for four or five yards. What the Packers were doing on the ground against a pretty good run defense I thought was impressive. Yeah, two weeks in a row, Mike, where they really had to earn every single yard that they got. But in this game, they actually ended up having some explosive plays. Dylan has his longest carry of the season, 25 yards, right down to the one-yard line of Pittsburgh. And Aaron Jones actually had his longest yard uh, carry of the year as well at 15. Yeah. Uh, really having to work hard for some of the yardage that he picked up. But what I loved about Dylan was the four-minute aspect of him in the second half. When the Packers need to eat some clock, four straight carries, he picks up 20 yards, none of them more than six yards, none of them fewer than, than four. Just a, a, you know, a chain mover. And Aaron Rodgers made the remark afterwards, you know, the bowling ball that he kind of is on the field. But what has impressed Rodgers is how now he's developed as more of a three-down type back. He's made the improvements you want to see as a pass protector. He made a heck of a catch and a play for 16 yards out of the backfield as well. That was one area there were a lot of questions about him coming out of Boston College. What were his hands like? Never really did that at Boston College. Right. Could he do it in this Matt LaFleur offense that likes to utilize the running backs? 196 total yards of offense between Jones and Dillon. And in this game where in the second half, you know, it's kind of a weird game altogether in terms of the conditions, they just decided, hey, Let's give A.J. Dillon a shot here to, to really you know, get some speed and, and momentum behind him, and I thought the young man really showed up. Yeah, definitely. It, it's, it's, as we've talked about it so many times, it's so good to see the Packers be able to run the football. It sets up so much else that goes on with this offense. And, and really in this game, because the Packers had taken such command of this game in the <clears> second <throat> half, to be able to run the ball and churn out the yards when the Steelers yes. knew you were going to run the ball, that's the kind of thing that bodes really well for the future down the road when you're when you're trying to protect leads, add to leads in the second half, grind the clock, all of those things. You're trying to accomplish all those goals when you have a lead in the third, fourth quarter of games. The Packers showed that they can do that against a pretty good defense, and I, I think that's a really good sign for the future. You're absolutely right. And getting back to that 25-yard carry, that was probably my favorite run of the season, not because of the yardage that I picked up, but because – that kind of looked like the offense from last year in terms of you had Amari Rodgers coming on the motion, timed it perfectly when the ball gets snapped and everything. No issues there whatsoever. And Dylan just gets north and south, and he, as he said, he got skinny through the gap, and there was nobody there at the second level. Yep. Deion uh, Bush, I believe, that, uh, who was that? That would end up being the, in in back, the backer that ended up pushing out. Gave him the whole gap and basically was just in a foot race right to, uh, right to the end zone. So... Just to be able to get those type of options going, that's important film, Mike, because now next week, okay, what can you build off of that look? Now maybe that's where you see the push passes going out to Mari Rogers. Maybe that's where you get some other swing things going. It keeps defenses honest, and it gives defensive coordinators things to think about now as you go into a game this Sunday against Cincinnati. Yeah, we saw some of those plays, too, where both Jones and Dylan are in the backfield and Jones motions out and you're trying, you get a read on the defense. You know, Aaron Jones, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, excuse me, has the option of throwing the swing pass to Aaron Jones as he motions out or to hand it off to Dylan if the, if the defense is a little light in the box. Yeah. Those are the kinds of things I think we're going to continue to see moving forward. Just to correct myself, Devin Bush. Devin Bush, Bush 
is the sorry. wonderful safety from the Chicago Bears <laughs> that we've seen the past few years. Devin Bush yeah. was uh, he he kind of got flushed out of his gap, and that gave that gave uh, the floodgates there for for Bush. Yeah, no question about Dylan. it. A little bit of sponsor business here, Wes. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7, 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. All right, on the defensive side, and I know we have some injury issues to talk about, and we'll get to those in a minute, but defensively I want to start with this, Wes, because the game did not start the way the Packers wanted it to. The Steelers took the, had the ball first, went down and scored a long touchdown pass to Deontay Johnson, but then Pittsburgh's next seven possessions, three points. Yeah, You talk about a unit, and no, not everything was perfect in there, and the Steelers, yes, they were able they were able to move the ball, and there were some fourth downs that, based on game situation, they decided to go for it instead of kick field goals. Possibly, I get all that, but seven possessions, three points after allowing an opening possession touchdown. That's a that's a response from a defense to me that felt like okay, this defense not only is settling into where they are in the season with their new defensive coordinator, but it showed just how veteran and experienced overall this group is because because we've seen the snowball start to go the wrong way a couple of times early in the season there was no snowball in this game based on that first touchdown and again just another thing I thought was a good sign for this Packers team yeah and just the response to it right because that that was a tough blow there because it's a 45 yard touchdown it's against your best player with with Jair Alexander out there in single coverage Johnson had a heck of a game. I give that young man a lot of credit. Without you know, it's Smith Schuster struggling with the injuries that he's had, where they don't have Chase Claypool, they yeah. needed somebody to step up, and it was Johnson on both sides of the field. Yeah. So they come out of the gate and they get the touchdown. That's a momentum changer. I know. I saw all the questions, all the comments on Twitter about, "Well, this is why you don't defer." Well, as you saw, what ended up happening is Green Bay really settles in after that. First and foremost, they've been able to stop the run. Najee Harris wasn't able to get going. Now he had 16 carries, 62 yards, uh, an economical effort, but it wasn't something that really you know, hurt them. With that in mind, much like the San Francisco game, they're able to get after Ben Roethlisberger a little bit more. Only two sacks, only five <clears throat> quarterback hits, but to be able to, to kind of keep him off balance, certainly the strip sack was a huge play on the third series. Uh, you know, th- There were so many little things that worked against the Steelers in this, whether it was Kingsley Kiki getting home, Kenny Clark being able to to pick that up, the the points off of that with Randall Cobb, yep. the the twenty yard punt in the second half by Harvin. There are little things that you look at the way this game flowed, Green Bay just out they out battled them in all three phases. And I thought a lot of that had to do with how the defense responded early on. You know, I thought this was a great game for Kingsley Kiki. I, I really thought him and Kenny Clark, those guys pushed the front. And as Kiki said after the game, that's what they felt like they needed to do in this thing because you can't let Roethlisberger step up into his throws. They took that avenue away, and they came out with a rather dominant performance. Yeah, I thought what the Packers were able to do up front is more often than not with a standard four-man rush the bulk of the time, we saw the pocket closing in around Ben Roethlisberger. And no, the Packers didn't rack up a whole bunch of sacks. Roethlisberger was not on the ground a whole bunch. But you also didn't see Roethlisberger getting all that comfortable in the pocket because it just seemed like it was closing in around him. 
quite a bit. And and Roethlisberger did miss a couple of throws that uh, that the future Hall of Famer were used to we're used to seeing him make those throws and you wonder, okay, so was that little bit of lack of comfort in the pocket? Does it make that yeah. throw just a little bit off? I mean, it, it all, it all plays, it all plays into it and was part of this defensive effort. The bad news of course, is that Jair Alexander went down in this game with a shoulder injury, made a terrific play on a, for a fourth down stop. That we've uh, seen him late. make for the last three years. Yeah. Made a terrific play on a fourth down stop late in the third quarter. The Steelers were throwing short of the sticks, trying to get a little catch and run from their rookie running back, Najee Harris. And, uh, and Alexander's right there, goes low, upends him, but he injures his shoulder, leaves the game, is taken to the locker room on a cart. And the latest we heard from Matt LaFleur on Monday in his uh, day-after-game news conference is that they're still gathering a bunch of information on this injury, looking at uh, different scenarios, different opinions in terms of how to proceed with regard to this injury. So we don't really know anything at this point other than Jair Alexander is probably going to be out for a while. We just don't know exactly how long at this point. Um, this is this is potentially a, uh, um, you know, a, a game changer in a sense for the Packers defense because you're already without – your other second-team All-Pro from the unit yeah. in Zadarius Smith with the back injury, and now Alexander, the second-team All-Pro at corner, is uh, is down with an injury. Well, and the fact that he played as well as he did in this game, I, I saw the one stat that yeah, there was a 45-yard catch early on, but after that, he got a he got a little hand in the back on that. Just one a too. little bit. I give I give Johnson credit though because because when I saw it live, I was like, oh, that's a push off, but then when I saw the replay. What Johnson actually did is he put his hand in Alexander's back essentially to stop his momentum, but he didn't shove him to where you see the extended arm, which is how you get the flag for OPI. He put his arm there and kind of blocked him, but because he didn't shove and get the separation, they didn't throw the flag. They didn't didn't see that movement of the arm. It was a sneaky play by Johnson. I give him a lot of credit because he got away with it and got a 45-yard touchdown against one of the best corners in the league. Wes Hodquist, sixth grade baby middle school. I think I'm I'm going to probably flop there. <laughs> I think if I'm Alexander, I'd probably go down. But but Jaw's a better competitor than I am. Uh, but what I loved about that, though, after that four targets, I think there was one completion for a yard or something like that. I mean, the guy shut it down. And as I was – I kind of interrupted you, but I wanted to make that point. He has made that play so many times, Mike. How many times – remember last year in Minnesota? Crashes so hard. And as we saw in his interception the week before, the guy has such explosiveness. He can cover so much ground in such a short period of time. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a six foot two, three hundred thirty pound rock in Najee Harris that you know he made the hit. It, it was able to get him to have enough. It stopped him enough for the rest of the guys to come gang tackle. But unfortunately for Ja, comes up with a shoulder injury. I know he was cheering on fans as he was leaving. We don't know the update. Matt Lafleur said on Wednesday he hopes to have one for the media. This is the guy, though, Mike. I mean, we talked so many years about the Packers investing first-round picks into defensive backs and all this. Jair is the one. Yeah. And to, to, for him to do what he's done at 24 years old, to have the composure and the mindset and the maturity to, to really dominate and excel every single year he's played in this league was off to an exceptional start to this year. So you hate to see it for him. You hope it, you know, you hope for the best. But the Green Bay Packers, this is where Eric Stokes has to step up 
has his first interception in the fourth quarter of that yep. one, responds the way you want him to. I thought Darnell Savage has been playing like a madman on the back end. I mean, you just the, the speed, explosiveness, and the intelligence, you're seeing it with him. You know, Adrian Amos, Mr. Consistency, and hopefully the Packers can get Kevin King here back soon as well because they're going to need these guys. You need five, six defensive backs to be able to navigate a season. And Jair Alexander, for the better part of three years, has been something the Packers have just not had to worry about. Yeah. Much like what they did with Zadarius Smith with losing him, if you're going to lose Ja for a little bit, you have to have guys step up in his place. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a, an interesting period here for the Packers to navigate injury-wise because uh, because really you're talking about the, the two biggest playmakers on the defensive side of the ball over the last couple of years um, are now on the sidelines, and, uh, and we'll see what that update is on Alexander on Wednesday. I did want to get to a couple of things with regard to special teams. One... Bojo, as he's uh, becoming known, Corey Bajorquez. Holy cow, Wes, is this guy, I mean, how, how does, how, I mean, I understand he went to L.A. to compete with a four-time All-Pro yeah. and Johnny Hecker and everything, but how was, how did nobody else bring him in? I don't know. Uh, you know, I, it, it's, it's, ama- it's absolutely amazing to me that this guy with, with this much with, with the track record he has and the talent that would obviously be on display at any moment that you bring a guy like this in for a workout, that, uh, um, that here the, the Packers have him, and it's a, uh, it, it's a big bonus because, uh, I mean, he pins the Steelers on the four-yard line with the, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's basically where he, he drops the ball sideways. The banana punt. Banana punt, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, the, he drops the ball sideways and kicks it so it's spinning, you know. It's, the, it's a kickoff spin, but in the, yeah. in the sideways way, if that makes any sense. Johnny it's hard Heckerman to describe. Yeah. the Hall of Fame. But he pins the Steelers on the four-yard line there early in the game, which, uh, um, which then the, the defense does get the stop and the ball back. And then... When the Packers are backed up and he's punting out of the back of the end zone, he blasts a 57-yarder. Malik Taylor beats, as the gunner, beats his guy on the outside, and you get a fair catch off of a 57-yard punt out of the back of your end zone. You can't ask for a better impact on field position from a punter than what Bojo's given the Packers here. Yeah, I'm starting to call him the scientist because <laughs> just the way he looks at punting is just, it is incredible. The, the, you know, the physicist is probably what I should call him. I mean, he talked about it. It was such an interesting interview. You were a part of it in the media auditorium, but just the way he looks at it. Because, you know, when, when you're playing in the park with your friends back in the day, if somebody's going to punt the ball or maybe you do that for your kickoff, they're just looking to hammer it, right? Yeah, yeah, and, swing away, and, crush it. Yeah, but Hork has said it's like, no, you don't want to out-punt your coverage. But in that particular case, you're backed up in your own end zone. You're having to do the short punt, you know, where it's you're not going to have as much time. And if you looked at what Pittsburgh was sending – they had one guy on each side as far as jammers. They were sending the house to try to block this punt. Yeah. So Bajorca's just let it fly. And you give credit to Malik Taylor going down. It had a really nice uh, run off the, the left side for the, for, as the gunner. The kid's really talented, Mike. And, and with all due respect to J.K. Scott, J.K. Scott, as I've said before numerous times, has all the ability in the world. Directionally, he struggled. And that was where the, kind of the disconnect was. He couldn't place it where he needed to place it along the sidelines. For as talented as Bajorquez is with that left leg, he also has shown remarkable accuracy with it. So oh, yeah. I will keep saying this. I will keep writing it. I don't cover the Buffalo Bills. I have some buddies of mine who do. Maybe I'll ask. I still cannot figure out not only how this guy went two months without being signed, but how he didn't get tendered. 
I mean, he, he is a really talented young yeah. man, and he was a great find for Buffalo coming out of New England. So we'll see where things head. Obviously, four games does not make a career, but they wanted to get hang time. They wanted to get improvements. They felt like they could get better with their punt coverage, and Bajorquez has done a big, big job in that. Yeah, well, the, sal- the salary cap crunch obviously leads to certain things happening, like Corey Lindsley has to walk in free yeah. agency, right? Well, the Packers in the salary cap crunch – situation have taken advantage of two things in bringing in Corey Bajorquez and Devondre Campbell, two guys who are playing major roles on this team for contracts that were much less than what they were hoping yeah. for, what they were expecting as free agents on the market. The Packers jump in and, and take advantage there, and it's paying dividends. One other thing on the special teams, though, Packers have some things to look at with regard to the field goal and yeah. the field goal protection because – Matt LaFleur mentioned it on Monday when I asked him the follow-up on it, and I give credit to an insider inbox reader, and I apologize for not remembering the individual's name at the moment, but I answered the question late Sunday night after the game that this reader had noticed that when the Steelers were called for offside but blocked the field goal at the end of the first half, the guys on the on the edge there, I believe it was Joe Hayden and Minka Fitzpatrick yep. were the two on the edge. They essentially went off of Bohorquez with his top hand flashing the hand, which is the signal for the snap. And apparently the Packers have been doing that, but not, you know, flash the hand and count 1,000, 1,002 or something like that. It's been flash the hand and snap the ball, right? So that's what the Steelers were going. Those guys on the edge were not watching the ball. They were watching Bohorquez's hand, and that's how they got the jump. So it's an easy fix for the Packers, right? I mean, all you have to do is say, you know, you go, okay, we're going on two, flash the hand, thousand one, thousand two. It's it's still a silent count. It's yeah. a snap, but you make those guys watch the ball. So the Packers will Packers will get that shored up. But this whole question of whether or not those guys were offside. Very, very interesting because it certainly was close. It looks like they're offside in live action, but then when you slow it down, not so sure. As it turns out, the Packers get the second try at the field goal. They get it at the end of the half instead of having the seven points the other way. But uh, um, but an interesting turn of events there at the end of the first half. It is funny because basically the offside's base, it, it kind of comes down to how quickly Hunter Bradley snaps the ball then. Yeah. I mean, if he just waits that I'm talking milliseconds. Oh yeah, absolutely. In terms of it actually coming out, to me personally, now we don't, we do not have a good vantage point. Press box at Lambeau Field is fantastic; it's one of the best in the league. But from when we're sitting and where that ball was coming, all we could see is the guys coming off the edge. Yeah. I didn't have a good look at all of what was happening, but it happened so fast. Yeah. That there was this part of me that's just like, well, of course they were offsides. How, how could they have? How could they have been that close to where Bohorquez was putting down the ball? Without them being offside. Yeah, because so. that because that that was just an absolute smothering of the of the. I mean, but, Fitzpatrick was pac- practically on his feet still in in blocking that and then scooping and going the other way. One thing I'm trying to teach myself though, Mike and, and Mark Murphy, Packers presidency, wrote about this in in MT5. I am an eye for an eye guy. That's why it's such an issue with the officiating in the NFC Championship game. That's why I was so upset about the officiating at the end of the San Francisco game. But Mark laid it out on Saturday and said, "Listen, on a long enough timeline." The, the calls work themselves out. So while that didn't work for Pittsburgh and worked in Green Bay's advantage, you have, you know, JJ TJ Watt tripping, you know, Rodgers yep. later in the game. Absolutely. Flag gets thrown. They pick it up for some reason. It is what it is. And at the end of the day, 27 to 17, the Green Bay Packers, I think everyone would agree the better team won. 
three and one now going into Cincinnati this upcoming weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.